All right, cool. Well, if you got your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And it says this. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, as a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. <clears throat> now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him. We need to see that because this is an important issue. How many know when Jesus asks questions, they're sometimes loaded, right? He did this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii, which was about eight months' worth of wages, worth of bread, would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Now, in this time, they only considered the attendance of men. So many scholars and theologians believe that the, a better, better number for us to understand is not just 5,000 men, but the added women and children. So somewhere in the range of 12 to 14,000 people in this moment that Jesus was getting to address. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers, that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves, and that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he'd done, they said, this truly is the prophet who's coming to the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they're about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Today, as we conclude this series, Buried Treasure, I want to speak to you from the subject, sack lunch. Sack lunch. As we look at the power and purpose of generosity in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we love you. We worship you. God, I believe tonight that we're sitting in a holy moment. A moment that could forever mark some of us and change us. So I pray that you would do so right now. God, I pray that how we came in would be different than how we leave. That tonight something new would take place in our hearts and our minds as we listen to your word. God, I pray that these wouldn't be my words, but they would be your words. We desperately need to hear your voice. So would you speak to us tonight? We're listening. Our hearts are open. Our ears are listening. Speak to us right now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Uh, for this message tonight, I want to repeat a story that I've told before, but I think it, it bears repeating because of the, the content for tonight. Um, years ago, as when I was living in, in uh, Phoenix and pastoring there, many mornings I'd get up and I'd go get my morning coffee because we know that there are two great things in the world, Jesus and coffee, and they go together many times. I believe coffee is liquid Jesus. And so, um, but... Uh, I was running late this particular morning. We had just had justice, and so we were still trying to figure out the kid thing and trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And uh, those of you who are parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Your first kiddo comes along, and you're trying to adjust and figure out how to do, do all this. So I'm running late, and uh, I decided to go to a Starbucks that I don't normally go to because the drive-thru is horrible. But I needed to go in the drive-thru because going in was even worse. And this drive-thru was like a windy drive-thru, and next to this Starbucks was a Chipotle. 
And uh, this Chipotle was always busy. The parking lot was always busy. There was a supermarket in the parking lot. So the, the, the parking lot was just always chaotic. So I didn't like going to this particular uh, Starbucks. But this morning I was running late. It was the closest to the church. So I went to this one. And I'm playing dodge with people in the parking lot, with other cars, with people, right? And there's those moments where you're trying to decipher how many points a person's worth. Like it was that morning, okay? That's what my morning <laughs> comprised of. And so I'm driving around, and I got to this, this part in the parking lot where I had a clear shot to the drive-thru. And, and I was going to take it. And you know how you kind of pump the gas a little bit, give it a little bit of rev, let people around you know that, like, hey, I'm coming for you, right? Well, that was my moment, so I gave it a little gas, and I, t- and I went to take off. And all of a sudden, this car zipped out in front of me right into the drive-thru. And I like to say in that moment that I was a good Christian boy. But in that moment, I lost my salvation. A few things came out of my mouth that probably shouldn't have come out of my mouth in that moment. And I went down this path that I didn't realize that I was capable of, but in that moment, I found out I was fully capable of. And don't look at me judgmental. I've driven next to some of you guys, so you know what I'm talking about. How many of you know there's something about our car that causes us to become somebody else? You know what I'm talking about, right? Just drive the 15 at 7.30 in the morning. And so... So in this moment in the drive-thru, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm coming up with all the ways that I could potentially, like, injure this person, and I'm trying to figure out, like, if, if and when they get their coffee, like, if I just rear into them, or, like, at the exact time, would the coffee spill perfectly, and I was like, <laughs> awesome. Like, these are the things that are going through my mind in this moment, and so I'm fuming, I'm mad, I'm like, doesn't this person know who I am? That's when God speaks, and there he's like, you're nobody, <laughs> right? Let's be honest about that. So I'm frustrated. I'm so angry in this moment, and so I'm behind them, and they're taking their sweet, pretty time in the drive-thru, right? And they're, like, looking at the menu, and they got their window down, and they're, like, leaning out of the window. Mmm, um, mmm, what did I get yesterday? And so, um, can I get a caramel soy? No, no soy, almond. <laughs> Almond, yeah, almond, it's better for the tummy. And so it's going through all these things, and I'm like, can you please hurry up already? By the way, if you ever, don't get, uh, don't let Andrew order Starbucks for you, okay? This guy ordered the other day on a text chain. He said, I would like an iced venti dragon fruit <laughs> without the fruit, with, with three matchas. Anyways, get out of here. Get out of here with that. <laughs> so Justin texts, and he goes, he goes, Andrew would like an iced venti unicorn with like a, <laughs> with a splash of help me believe. And so it was like, <laughs> it was awesome. So I'm in the drive through line, and I'm waiting, and I pull up to the window after this person finally gets their drink. I, I roll down the window. I pull up my wallet. I'm getting ready to hand him cash, and the, the barista leans out the window and says, oh, don't worry about it. They paid for it. So I lost my salvation again (laughs) in that moment. It was a hard moment. And like all of a sudden, after all that that had transpired in my car, I was like, man, I went to the other side of him like, Jason, you're such a jerk. Like I was so angry at myself, like who are you? And then you start thinking about other things. They're like, they probably know where you pastor and like all those, right? So you're going through all these moments, and it was interesting because it's been something that stuck with me even up until this point. This was many, many years ago, and here's the reality that, 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 that I came to that day. 
Generosity will change the atmosphere of people's lives. Generosity will change the atmosphere of people's lives. My car had one atmosphere in that moment. It was an atmosphere that was set by my anger and my frustration and all these different things. And one act of generosity changed everything in that moment. One act of generosity. And that's what I want to deal with today because as we read this piece of scripture that that we find right here in John, I see one of the greatest acts of generosity to ever happen. I mean, think about this moment. Think about what's happening right here. Because I think many times, if we're honest, we gloss over Bible stories, don't we? We read a Bible story, we go, oh, that's cute. That's a nice Bible story. Of course, Jesus was there, so it was, of course, going to work out like that. But can we, like, throw a little real human into it? Okay, so Jesus tests Philip. He asks him a question. He says, Philip, what should we do with all these people? There's like 14,000 of them. And Philip, being the pragmatist among them, is like, hey, Jesus, listen, 200 denarii is not going to feed all these people. How many pragmatists do we have in the room, right? Where you would say the same thing. You would look at this and be like, Jesus, this is physically impossible. Not to mention, not to mention the the variables to this thing. And I don't know if you realize, Jesus, but there's about 14,000 people here. I don't have enough money. And how are we going to get the rest of the disciples to go out and buy everything that we need to feed these guys? Like, how is that actually going to happen? That's the pragmatist Philip, right? So then Jesus turns his gaze to somebody else. One of his other disciples, he says, how are we going to do this? And that disciple says, hey, Jesus, why don't we steal that kid's sack lunch? (laughs) Guys, this is the Bible. We read over this stuff. We don't see this. Why would he bring this up? Philip just established that it's not possible to feed all these people with 200 denarii. How are they going to do it with five loaves and two fish? And I can imagine how that conversation was going. I can imagine the rest of the disciples jumping into the conversation as Jesus is looking at them going, what do you mean, five loaves, two fish? What are you talking about? And I can think about Philip jumping back in the conversation. And he's like, Andrew, how are you going to do that with five loaves and two fish? What about the gluten-free people? Realize right here in this story, it said there was tons of grass in the area that they're in. That's how we're going to take care of that. Wheat shots for everybody. (laughs) So they're looking at this whole situation in a a way that is not pragmatic. Physically, it's not possible to make this happen. And then I ask one more question as I read this piece of scripture. What was it about the boy that created a moment where he would hand it over to Jesus. Because so many times we get caught up on the fact that Jesus fed all of these people, but you know what I get caught up on? I get caught up on the fact the boy gave him his lunch. Because have you ever tried to take something from a kid before? (laughs) Have you ever tried to take something from an adult before? (laughs) Let's be honest about that, right? Because if if I could strolled up to you in the street and be like, hey, can I have your lunch? You'd be like, no, get out of here. What are you talking about, crazy? But that's what they did. Can I have your lunch? And the boy says, yes, here you go. There was this exchange of generosity that took place, and it changed the lives of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. But how many of you would agree with me that generosity is not a natural disposition? It's not a natural disposition. It's something that's practiced. It's something that's that's developed. This is why Paul would encourage us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that God loves a what? Cheerful, cheerful, generous person. A cheerful giver, he would say. 
Why? Because it's not about what we do, it's about how we do it. It's about how we do it. My wife would bankrupt us if given the option to give gifts to people. I'd show up one day to go home and she'd be like, hey, I gave the house away. Hey, I gave her children away. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> See, generosity is something that's worked on. It's, it's developed. It does not naturally come to us as people. In her, in her book, Jeremy Fink and the Meaning of Life, Wendy Mass pins the conversation between an old man and his son. She writes, a fight is going on inside me, said an old man to his son. It's a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you. The son thought about it for a minute, and then he asked, which wolf will win? The old man replied, simply, the one you feed. The one that you feed. I look at these two wolves, and I see them very much at work in our generation right now fighting inside all of us. I look at the culture right now. I look at the culture wars that are happening right now. I look at the discourse between religious leaders and cultural leaders and society and different brackets of people, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned where the church, the people of God, work and operate in the midst of all this because there's two wolves that are fighting it out. The question is, is what wolf do we want to feed? Who do we want to be as a church? Who do we want to be as a people? I want to be like that kid who's willing to give up his sack lunch. Come on, somebody. That's who I want to be. I want to be a generous person. That's, that's my heart. And Erica said it last week, so often we look at what may seem like a little in our hand, but in the hands of Jesus, it's everything. He can take what is so seemingly insignificant, five loaves, two fishes, and he can multiply it to feed the masses. He can take our tiny little bit and he can make it munch. But if we have an attitude of generosity, anything and everything is possible. Anything and everything is possible. So what I want us to understand tonight as we close this series, Buried Treasure Down, is I want, to under, I want us to understand four things, four significant truths about generosity, what we need to know about generosity. And the first one is this. Come on, over, shout number one. Number one, the first one is this. Impact happens because of the strength of our generosity. Impact happens because of the strength of our generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. Paul writing, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial, watch the equation. This is the mathematical equation here, and I love this. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Extreme joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, 
As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I don't know if any of you have ever traveled to a foreign country. I've done so on missions trips. And have you ever had your hearts and your heads and your soul wrecked by the generosity of those who are completely impoverished? Yet this becomes an uncomfortable topic for us here in the Western church. When you stare into the eyes of a child who, at the end of the day, may not receive a meal as they are handing you the meal that they so desperately want you to have so that they could be hospitable. It'll ruin you and inspire you. It will wreck you and it will call you to a new level. It's generosity. It's generosity, and it changes everything. I've met so many people who have gone on foreign missions trips, and they come back, and, they're, and they're, they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know how to reacclimate to everything that we have because they just experienced the grossest amount of generosity that they could ever experience. One who literally has nothing, yet they had the joy that they had in them to give freely and generously just because they wanted to see a smile on your face. That's generosity. It's the power of it. And impact happens because of the strength of our generosity. I love that just in a few short weeks we have a team of people heading down to Cofredia, Mexico to build a house that we were able to provide the finance for to give a family who wouldn't otherwise have a home a home. It's generosity. It makes, it makes impact. The stronger we are in our generosity, the stronger we are in our impact. You know what I hope? I hope that this church... And I know this service is a little bit younger of a service, so I lowered the lines just a little bit more for us. But I want to talk to those who are 40 and over. Okay? 40 and over. But I also want the younger generation, below 40, to hear this as well. Because I think it applies to all of us. But we have to be the type of church that sets up a legacy of generosity. We have to teach it. We have to model it. We have to show it. Because if we don't, the church will never be what the church is meant to be. And the church is not walls and ceilings and lights and stuff of things. It's us. It will never have the impact that God wants it to have if we don't pass this trait on to the next generation. My little boy. He's the funniest kid ever. I love him so much. But if you come over to our house, he has this thing that I think he got from his mom where he tries to give his toys away to people. <laughs> How many of you know a kid like that, right? Like, hey, you want this? Because somebody will be like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, here, you want it? Like, son, we bought you that toy. <laughs> Technically, that's my toy. <laughs> no, Dad, I just want to give it away. Right? So then we have to, like, teach our kids, like, well, you need to ask permission before you do that and everything like that. But I love the heart of my son. And I realized one, one time when we were kind of scolding him for it, we're like, we can, you can't give all the toys away and stuff like that. And he says, why? Have you ever had a kid say why? And then you stare at him like, I have no clue. <laughs> I've got no legitimate argument for that. That Why? And I said, well, just give it away then. Sure, get rid of all your toys. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I don't ever want to squelch that in my son. I want that to be passed down. 
I want us to pass down a church to our kids and our kids' kids. And some of you are like, I don't even have kids. I'm not even thinking about kids. But you will one day, and you will have them. And hopefully in that moment, you'll think about this thing as well. I want to pass a legacy on to my children's children. And that it's no longer something that they have to work through, that generosity is just a natural disposition of who they are because they experienced people before them that lived it out and fought for it. It's a legacy of generosity. And we have to understand that impact happens Right? By the strength of our generosity. Come on, everybody shout number two. Number two, vision moves at the speed of our generosity. Vision moves at the speed of our generosity. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, we've heard this scripture before in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different understandings. What I love about this scripture is it speaks to the speed of vision based upon what you're willing to plant and not plant. Right? How many of you know that a farmer can't go out to acres and acres of land, plant one seed, and hope that all the acreage is taken over? He can't do that. What's he have to do? If he has a vision to see acreage taken over by the thing that he's planting, he's got to plant multiple seeds. So vision moves at the speed of our generosity, our ability to say, hey, I'm just going to keep on planting. I'm going to keep on planting. I'm going to keep on planting. And as I keep on planting, I'm going to see something that I've never seen before and that I desire to see. That's why we're going to keep on putting down communities. We're going to keep on going to new places. We're going to keep on taking new territory. Why? Because vision moves at the speed of our generosity. And the better we are at being generous, the more impact that we're going to have. The more impact we're going to have. We talk a lot. I'm going to be talking a lot about our North Communion. For those of you who are going to call Sandy home, please don't feel like it's, we're minimizing what's happening here. That's not what's happening. But like, you know, when you have a baby, everybody just talks about the baby. That's what's happening right now. Everybody's just talking about North. Oh, it's so cute and so nice. Certain, like soon we'll let it go play outside and not pay attention to it. And so, <laughs> earlier this year we decided to write the vision of this church on the wall. Every time we walk in here, every time we cross those, the threshold of those doors, you see that wall. That's our vision. That's our vision. And I'm still crazy enough to believe and still have enough energy to believe we can accomplish that vision. May not happen on our watch, but I'll die trying. Come on, somebody. How many of you want to be, some, be a part of something bigger than yourself? <laughs> I want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so I want to dare you to read that vision statement as you leave tonight. And then I want to dare you to ask God to have it seared upon your heart. And then I want to dare you to ask God how you can play a part in that. Understanding that generosity makes this, that the, the speed of this vision is possible in and through our generosity. Why? Because I want to be that church. Oh, you go to that church? Yeah, I go to that church. You mean that, that church that loves people uncontrollably? Yeah, that church. You mean that church where you can belong before you believe? Yeah, that church. You mean that church that you can like cross the threshold of the doors completely out of your mind, but people will still love you? Yeah, that church. Uh-huh. You mean that church that helps people in their desperation and their need? Yeah, that church. You mean that church that like buys home and rescues people from sex, slavery, and drugs and alcohol? Yeah, that church. You mean that church that keeps on putting little mini wells all across the valley? Yeah, that church. 
You know that crazy people that jump up and down? That, that church. The people that worship when you're not capable of worshiping for yourself? Yeah, that, that church. You mean that person that's going to smile at you even though you shouldn't be smiled at? Yeah, that church. You mean that church that's going to buy your latte in the drive-thru? Yeah, that church. I want to be a part of that church. Oh, you go to that church? Yeah, I go to that church. I'm a part of that church. J.D. Greer, in three ways the gospel changes our generosity, writes this. We don't give because God has needs. I repeat, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't come to us hat in hand, sheepishly asking for funding for his mission. No, no, no. We don't give because God needs it, but because in giving and in generosity, we declare his value to us and our love for him. Jesus told us that if we wanted to know a person, what a person really loves, we should follow the trail of his treasure. Do you see the resources as yours to benefit from or as opportunities to be generous to others? The world, of course, finds it absurd to be this open-handed with our resources. I earned it. I deserve to benefit from it. But when was the last time your generosity made someone question your sanity? When was the last time you did something so generous Somebody had to turn around and go, are you for real? <laughs> I want to be that church. Seth and I were at a conference a couple weeks ago. He sat in a session that him and I were talking about afterwards. If you don't know, know Seth, he's our business manager here. He is our community engagement pastor, and he's our redemption house director. And he's all kinds of other things. <laughs> He does it all. He's got a big job title, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so he um, is sitting and talking to me afterwards, and we're, we're talking about the session that he was in. He was talking about another church who went, uh, this is how they, they started making sure that their city knew who they were. They started going to city council meetings. And they'd sit in these city council meetings, and they would just sit in the back. They wouldn't gauge, they wouldn't yell, they wouldn't shout, they wouldn't complain, they wouldn't do anything like that. And then it would get to the moment in the city council meeting where they're talking about the needs of the city. And so many times stuff wouldn't happen because of bureaucracy and red tape or without the, they didn't have the ability and the finances to do it. So they'd start putting these things out and then all of a sudden a hand would shoot up from the back and they'd say, hey, we got you. Stop sign can't be put up right now. And the church would say, we'll put it up. Similar, pothole can't be fixed right now. We'll fix it. Houses are dilapidated in this area. Kids don't have things. We got it. Drugs are taking over this area and alcoholism's going up. Don't worry, we'll send somebody in. We got it. Yards need to be taken care of. This neighborhood is in shambles right now. We got you. Right. What if we became the church that everybody knew was the we got you church? <laughs> Man, we got, we, got to, we got to ask those guys. I love big questions. Does anybody else like big questions? I'm a dreamer. I hope that's okay with you guys. <laughs> I'm a dreamer. What if we became the most generous people in this valley? What would happen? What happens if we decided to say, we got this city? <laughs> we got this city. You know what I'm excited for about going to our north location? It's going to give us a whole new demographic of people to reach. A whole new demographic of people to reach. I'm so excited for that. 
people, albeit that aren't stepping foot into this building right now. This is where the rubber meets the road. Can we be that church? We do, do we just like our semi-comfy chairs? <laughs> or are we ready to be the most generous people there is? That actually when, when history is written, maybe it wasn't fancy, but they changed a city. They changed a city. I'm sorry, but this is the way that I think. This is what wakes me up in the morning. This is what gets me up in the morning, even when it's hard. Even when I don't want to. I jump out of bed, half asleep, kids yelling at me, ready to change a city. Come on, we're going to do this. This morning, this is actually the best I've felt all weekend right now. Because I wanted to throw up in the other two services. Because every child in my house has been vomiting everywhere, right? But we got up this morning with projectile vomit everywhere, kids sleeping on our floor. Come on, this is real life, guys, right? I'm, I'm a human being. And I got up and I said, okay, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is another moment to rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because I want to see lives change. And that then fuels everything that we do. So I'm going to get up and in the second service, I got to point three. I was like, huh? But we got one more. We got one more. Why? Because I want to change a city. I think you want to change a city. And one of the ways that we do that is through generosity. It's through generosity. Number three. Every shot number three. Number three. Increased is received through the obedience of our generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, always having everything you need, always having everything you need, always having everything that you need, not everything you want you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity. Notice that he says you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, not rich so you can be happy, healthy, popular, and cool. That's something to understand. And I've come to realize that the greatest blessing that you and I will ever receive in our life is not what is tangible and in our hands, but rather that which we are a part of. Have you ever prayed for a six-pack before? <laughs> this, this one right here. <laughs> so, you know, some of you are like, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the 5 p.m. service. I get it. So... <laughs> Because so many times, and many of us, we, 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 have, we have some pain that's associated with this point right here. Because we've heard and seen different things on, on media sources, and we've heard different ways of teaching about this thing. And so we think, oh, if I give, then God will give back. But how many of you know, if your experience is like my experience, he didn't? How do you reconcile that? Because that guy told me that if I did this, then I would get this, or I would become this. And so those of us who then live generous lives all of a sudden get frustrated with God because it doesn't seem like he's coming through. But the thing was, is that he never promised that he would give you everything that you wanted. He simply said that I'll give you everything that you need so you can continue to be a generous person, but you will always be supplied for. It may not be what you want, but it is what you need. And take what you have and do everything you can with what you have. I know this is, this is a harder teaching. It's realizing the increase that we experience many times is not seen in what we have, but rather what we are a part. 
Uh, so two questions that we need to wrestle with this, as we come to the end of the year and as we move into 2019. Have I fully honored God in the area of generosity in my life? And Holy Spirit, is there anything more you want me to do? I'm going to illustrate it this way. Because a lot of people think, okay, well, yeah, you're the pastor. You're supposed to talk this way. I'm going to sit right here. Erica and I wrestle with this question. Here's why. My title of pastor is a title. It's a function. I'm a Christ follower before anything else. We're all the same. We're no different. And I think it's really easy sometimes to look at pastors and go, oh, that's the pastor. He's supposed to. We're the same. Human being, flesh and blood, dysfunctions, funkiness, things going on. That's me, not you. You're awesome. So. <laughs> Thank you. We have all this stuff going on, right? And so many times we think, oh, well, he's the pastor. He's supposed to talk this way. But no, 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 no. I'm a Christ follower. I do what I do, not because I'm a pastor, but because I love Jesus. I want to live a generous life just like anybody else wants to live because why? We're, we're, we're the same. See, we're trying to deconstruct certain stereotypes around here about these things because so many times we can walk into a church and we can come in with these preconceived notions and ideas about who people are and why they do what they do or why they say what they say, but here's the truth about it. I am no different than anybody else in this room. I have to trust God with everything that I have. I have to trust God with my kiddos. I have to trust God with my marriage. I have to trust God with the resource in my life. I have to trust God with my health. I gotta trust God with all of these things. Why? Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a lover of Jesus. Simple as that. And so I hope that we can be the type of people, a community of people that can rally together, same, same, understanding we're trusting Jesus together. We're running towards Jesus together. And we don't do what we do because someone's in a different position. We do what we do because we understand what Jesus has done in our lives. And out of that place, out of understanding what Jesus has done, I give him everything that I am. I give him everything that I have. Why? Because God gave everything that he had in his son Jesus, for he so loved the world. So loved the world. And here's the really amazing part when we do this. Watch what happens. Number four, glory is given in the consistency of our generosity. Not to us, but to God. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 15. You will be enriched in every way for all of generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the proof provided by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. You know what I love? I don't get to be there, you don't get to be there, but this team that's going to Mexico in a few weeks, they're gonna stand and they're gonna look at a couple and they're gonna say, welcome home. And they're gonna give keys to somebody who never thought it possible to be holding keys 
Some of us have 50,000 keys on our key ring right now. And if I were to ask you, what's that key for? I have no idea. Generosity. And you know what they won't do? They won't start praising the people that are there. Uh-uh. They will look up to heaven and they will praise the one that they know made something possible that seemed impossible. And when we as people, fallible, messed up, broken people, decide to do something that is not natural in us, it causes people not to look at us, but to look to the one who puts the power in us to do something impossible. They give praise to Jesus. Glory is given in the consistency of our generosity. Please hear what this message is about. This isn't a giving message. If you're hearing that tonight, please ignore the whole message. This is about being a person with the spirit of generosity. Does giving flow out of that? Yeah, 100%. And so many other things. This is the question we're asking tonight. Who are we? Who are you? Some of you might be saying, bro, I just stepped into this church for the first time. I have no idea what's even going on. I'm cool with that. But here's the question. Who are you all the same? Because I want to be the most generous person I can be. Why? So that God gets the glory in every aspect of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we stand to our feet?